0: Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the New Denver Church Podcast. My name is Norton, and this is our series called You Lost Me at Leviticus. And this is part 11B. So today we are talking about the simple calendar. uh, Because this part of Leviticus is all about how Israel is going to be a different kind of people. They're going to be holy. Holy means different. They're going to show the world a different way a better way, a way of life that is ordered by God, a way of life that reflects his goodness and his beauty and his compassion and his justice and his shalom. And so the book of Leviticus is basically the instruction manual for how to do that, how to live this new and different way of life out as a community. And here's the deal. Um, it's not primarily, the book of Leviticus, it's not primarily about beliefs or concepts or theology or philosophical ideas. Le- Leviticus is about how to deal with skin rashes. It's about where to slaughter animals and what to do with the blood when you slaughter them and how to plant your crops and, and what do you do when you go into debt. It's th- This is a book, it's about sex and the clothes you wear, and the words you speak, and the food you eat at your dinner table, because that's where life is lived, and that's where our lives are ordered. And honestly, that's where our lives become disordered. Now, one of the most practical chapters in the entire book of Leviticus is chapter 23. That's where we're at, because it's all about the calendar, It's about how we spend our time, how we spend our days. Because our time is one of the most precious things we have, right? Our time is something we can never get back. Once we've spent our time, it's gone. And so any discussion about living a full life or a meaningful life or a purposeful life or a well-ordered life in the world will have to address the issue of time how do we spend our time how can we be this is questions not just the israelites are asking but but that we're asking how can we be the best stewards of our time how can we not waste our time how can we proactively think about our days our weeks our months our our year right so that we don't get to the end of the day, we don't get to the end of the week or the end of the month or the end of the year and say, what in the world was I doing? Where did all the time go, right? So Leviticus 23 offers two really important practices, two really significant practices for how to order your schedule. How to order your time, your calendar, order your days, your weeks, and even your months and your years. And you might be someone who uh, doesn't have a calendar at all. Um, You're one of those spontaneous people. You just take life as it comes. You don't really plan things ahead. And uh, order (laughs) is not a word that would ever be used to describe you. And so when we talk and when Leviticus sort of describes how to order the world like it's just it's hard to connect to that because you're not a person of order you just take things as they come and it's always worked and it's always been fine and in fact even people will look at you and say man i love how spontaneous you are i love how you just take life as it comes now you might be that and so you you're thinking i don't really even have a calendar or you might be the other end of the spectrum like maybe you're a calendar junkie you've got an actual Physical calendar. You've got one of those books that you write things down in, and now you've got different colored markers, and you've got a whole system or a bullet journal, or, or you know ways of like drawing things and coloring things and arrows and boxes for keeping tracks of track of things, or or maybe you use an app right? Or maybe it's on your phone or on your computer. It's iCal or Google Calendar or something like that. And it syncs up with other apps and you can even share it with other people and see their calendar and they can see yours. And, and, and you just might be one of those people where order is like your middle name, right? Organization is your middle name. Or maybe you're just somewhere in the middle, right? That's probably most of us. <laughs> but here's the deal. Wherever you are, Leviticus offers a totally different way of thinking about time, of thinking about your calendar. Whether you have a very rigid calendar or not even a calendar at all, it has a different way of thinking about how you measure and engage your days. And it's through these two practices. And we talked about these two practices in the last message. Uh, I I sort of introduced them and we we looked at what Leviticus 23 says about them. But there are so much more about these two practices that we're just going to go really deep and talk about them more today. So the first practice was the practice of Sabbath, right? It's taking one day a week to rest from your work. Now, before we talk about it more, let me just give you three resources Really quickly, um, three books, uh, and you have to buy one of these. Like, that's just one of your assignments today. You have to buy one of these books. So, real quick, the first book is called 24 Six, 24 Six, and it's by Matthew Sleeth. Matthew Sleeth, S L E E T H. Um, Matthew Sleeth was an ER doctor. So, he knows a little bit about working long hours and uh, what it means to try to take a Sabbath in your life, especially when you have a job that you love and that's really important, right? So 24-6 by Matthew Sleeth, you can buy that book. Um, The second book is called Subversive Sabbath by A.J. Swodoba. Subversive Sabbath by A.J. Swodoba. Um, And it's a more holistic approach of of what Sabbath is all about and how Sabbath is really subversive. In our culture, right? We live in a culture where people, and we're always told we always need to be doing something. And Sabbath is very subversive in that way. So you might consider getting this book. And then the third book is called, um, it's just called The Sabbath, and it's written by a Jewish theologian and and just giant um, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Um, and this book is masterful. It was actually written seventy years ago and uh heschel provides a jewish perspective on the sabbath so he's he's jewish he's not a christian and um it's more meditative and it is full of images and metaphors and ideas that will challenge you to think about the sabbath in a new way so you don't have to buy all three of those books just pick one of them the one that i described that sound most interesting to you and buy it and uh that'll help you think through some of these things now in the last message uh, we read leviticus 23 verse 3 which simply says this there are six days when you may work but the seventh day is a day of sabbath rest a day of sacred assembly you are not to do any work wherever you live it is a sabbath to the lord now this is not the only verse in leviticus about the sabbath in fact Sabbath is mentioned 25 times just in the book of Leviticus so it's a really important concept that comes up over and over and over and we're going to see that in these last few chapters that we read um, and the word Sabbath actually first shows up in the book of Exodus when God tells the people right after they leave Egypt I mean they have not even gotten to Mount Sinai yet they've only been in the wilderness for a few days and God says okay new schedule. Your weeks are going to be different now. You never rested in Egypt. You worked 24-7 in Egypt. But as my people, from this point forward, you're going to work six days a week and every seventh day you're going to rest. And then all throughout the rest of Exodus and then Leviticus, obviously, that we're in and Numbers and Deuteronomy, there are discussions about how Israel is to live this out, this idea, this practice of work six days, rest on the seventh day. And the most famous verse about this is probably just simply in the Ten Commandments, literally keeping the Sabbath, this practice of observing the Sabbath, it's the fourth commandment. And it's if you go read the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, it's the longest commandment. By far. I mean, there's no other commandments, it's even close, right? If you counted all the words of the Ten Commandments, something like 40% of all the words are just in the fourth commandment about the Sabbath. Now think about that for a second. If I said to my kids, hey, there are 10 rules in this house. But I got to one of the rules and I spent 40% of the time talking about this one rule. My kids would know this is probably the most important rule. And in fact, many scholars think the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, is the most important commandment of all of them. Not just because it's the longest, I mean that's part of it, but because the first three commandments are all about loving God, The last six commandments are about loving your neighbor. And remember, Jesus said those are the two most important things. That's Everything in the law is about those two things. Love God, love your neighbor. So first three commandments about loving God, last six about loving your neighbor. And then the fourth, the Sabbath commandment, it's like the hinge point. And it's really about both things. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. And it's about loving yourself. It's about loving creation. It's about everything. Because on the Sabbath day, you worship God. You make Him a priority. On the Sabbath day, you give your body rest. You're loving yourself. You're giving your soul rest. On the Sabbath day, you let the land rest. You're not doing any work bringing in your crops or plowing the fields. The land is resting on the Sabbath day. And in fact, everyone rests on the Sabbath day. If you go read the fourth commandment, it says, everybody should rest. You rest, your family rests, the people who work for you, they rest on the Sabbath day too. They're not supposed to be working. This is how you love them, by letting them rest. Immigrants, they rest on the Sabbath day as well. Slaves, if you have any of those still, they rest on the Sabbath day as well. You see, the Sabbath is not just about God or worship or you resting or some sort of personal thing. It's about justice and equity in all of society nobody works on the sabbath everyone is equal on the sabbath everyone rests on the sabbath nobody is a slave on the sabbath this is one day every week where there's equity and justice for everyone you see sabbath is not just this individual thing it, it, for Israel, it is a larger rhythm for the entire city, for the nation, and it's meant really for all of humanity and for all of creation. So Sabbath is its really, really important, right? It's not just an idea, and it's not just about going to church on Sunday. That's sort of the old way that a lot of us think about Sabbath. Sabbath is about going to church on Sunday. It's not about that at all. I mean, that's part of it. We'll get to that. But it is a pattern and a rhythm that an entire community should be engaged in that will shape their entire lives. Now, let me get specific. As you're thinking about what it means to live out Sabbath in your life, there are two aspects To Sabbath. Uh, The first is what you stop doing. You stop working on the Sabbath. In fact, the word Sabbath literally in Hebrew means to stop or to cease something. So whenever you see this term Sabbath day in the Old Testament, that literally means stopping day. You can just insert that in there. This is my stop day. This is my cease day. This is the day I stop doing the work that I've been doing the other six days of the week. Which, just to be super clear here, this does not mean that work is bad. In fact, the work you do is really good. In fact, you should do it for six days. You should do it the large majority of the week and the large majority of the your time in your life, throw yourself into your work. Do it with energy and passion and purpose. Work is good. But one day a week, you pause, you cease, you stop doing that work. And so practically speaking, um, what would that look like in our lives? Well, for starters, it means you, you obviously don't do your job on your sabbath day (laughs) whatever your career or job is you don't do that on this day you don't go into work on your sabbath day you don't check work email you don't respond to work email you don't say well i've got a meeting tomorrow morning and i need to prepare for it and so i'm just gonna you know take a couple hours to do this work over here you don't no you don't do that kind of work on your sabbath day if you're a teacher you don't plan lessons. You don't grade papers on your Sabbath. I know, I know, I know. I get it. Like, I'm a teacher. I, this sounds impossible, right? What? I don't plan. Le- I can't grade papers on it. No, that's work. Now, I'm going to tell you how to pull this off in a little bit, but, but anything related to your job, you don't do that on your Sabbath day. If you're an hourly employee, you don't work a shift, On your Sabbath day, you you tell your boss, hey, I can work any of these six days, but I can't work this day. I need this day off. Simply put, you carve out an entire day where you don't work on your job. That's what the Old Testament Leviticus perspective on Sabbath is. If you're working on the Sabbath, it's not a Sabbath. That doesn't make sense. You haven't stopped anything. You're still working. It's not a Sabbath. Now, there's other things that might be like work to you. And this is where the practice of Sabbath might vary a little bit between people. Um, For most people, I would say a lot of people doing house chores is work, right? Cooking meals is work. Shopping for groceries. Doing your laundry. Those usually feel like work. Running errands, right? And so we have to do those things uh but they're not very restful (laughs) we don't look forward to them they're work for us and so if that's you then you don't do those on your sabbath either and and this might vary a bit between people as i said there are some activities that will feel like work to some people but to other people they're not work at all in fact they are really enjoyable maybe you're one of those people that works in an office all week long. You work in front of a computer all week long. You work with data all week or you work with people all week. And so the idea of mowing the yard by yourself is glorious. It's not work at all. It's like a vacation from your work. So, so there are some things like that. But for a lot of us, House chores will probably be work, paying bills, running errands, getting getting things done, checking things off of the list, being productive, right? Those are the things we stop doing on the Sabbath. And this is where um, the American work week can actually be a bit helpful, right? If you have a normal job where you work from Monday to Friday, then you work on those days. And then on Saturday, you do your house chores, Right? You do all the personal work or at nighttime or whatever. You do all the personal work that you need to get done. And then on Sunday you rest from all of that. Right? So you're still working six days a week, but you're taking the seventh day off from work. Now, again, your schedule might be different. the way we work now and our culture is, is very different, but but you get the general idea, right? All of the stuff that is work for you, you fit that into six days, so that you can take a seventh day where you rest from all of that work. So the first aspect of Sabbath is simply saying no to work. This is I like to think of this as like this is the negative aspect of Sabbath. But if you're not working then what do you do on the Sabbath? And this is the more positive aspect. This is the second aspect. On your Sabbath day, you say no to work, but you also pursue rest and renewal. You pursue rest and renewal. So if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, that starts with gathering with other followers of Jesus. This is the going to church part. And in many ways, I think going to church, attending a a gathering with other followers of Jesus, this is like the bedrock of Sabbath. This is the sacred assembly that Leviticus talks about. It says, on your Sabbath day, you have this sacred assembly. Without this, it's not really Sabbath. And, and, just a quick side note here. I, I think this is a problem or a challenge for those of us in Colorado that we have to come to grips with because I think there's something for a lot of us in Colorado that loves the idea of not working one day a week, right? Right. Of taking one day a week where you just do something fun, you go hiking, you go climbing, you go skiing, you go kayaking, you go camping. In fact, <laughs> for a lot of us, we figure out how to do that not just one day a week, but two days a week or three days every single week. But if Sabbath is only about recreation, then that's not really Sabbath either. So, so Sabbath needs to include this, this component of, of gathering with the community of faith and, and you know traditionally speaking that's going to be attending a, a church worship service, you know maybe Sunday morning, maybe different times of the day, but, but gathering with the community of faith in a way that is renewing for your soul. That's a bedrock of Sabbath. But then of course, there's other things you do on your Sabbath day ways you might reconnect with God, ways you might renew your soul or even your body, right? For some people, that might be walking or hiking or throwing the Frisbee with a friend in the park, right? For others, it might be doing things that are creative. And there might be some hobbies you do, and these hobbies are not work. Uh, They're not things that, that you become sort of diehard focused on and you start achieving and accomplishing that that turns into work. They're not these aren't things of where you're focused on getting things done. They're hobbies that maybe you just find more restful. They're hobbies that are just fun. They're hobbies that are restorative. They're the kinds of things you do where you just lose track of time because you're having so much fun and you're enjoying yourself. Those might be great things to do on your Sabbath day. Maybe you watch a football game. Maybe you watch a movie with the family on your Sabbath day. That's not against the rules here. Now, I think you have to be careful with media. Uh, You don't binge, right? You don't lay on the couch all day because that's not actually recharging. That's draining. (laughs) Watching long stretches of TV is usually draining. It's not recharging our souls, right? Right? And I think it, it's, it's a good idea to probably pause the internet on your Sabbath day so you don't get caught in one of those downward spirals of two hours on YouTube, right? So maybe you pause the internet on your Sabbath day. Maybe you put your phone away for, for most of the day, right? But, but a little bit of media might be good, especially if, if you're doing something with others, with friends or with family that's, that's restful, and that's really the goal. What what gives you true rest? What's going to restore you? What's going to fill you up? And it might take time to figure that out. I've spent years exploring this question. When I first started taking Sabbath seriously, I just focused on the no, the negative part, stop doing work and I just And and now I'm sort of focusing on the positive part. What is it that actually gives me rest? And it's taken some years to really uncover some of those things now there are some things that i think are renewing and restorative for all people right so there's some there's some common things that 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 renew and restore humanity that we should pursue but there also might be some things more specific to personality and so what are the things that actually fill your tank back up what are the things that reconnect you with god reconnect you with other important relationships in your life right what are the things that that reconnect you with your own soul and what's going on in your soul because we ignore those things throughout the week oftentimes we have plenty of distractions that help us ignore those things so what can reconnect you with ha- what's happening in your soul or here's a good question what brings you joy like, let's just channel Marie Kondo for a second what? sparks joy? What sparks creativity and rest and and contentment? Do those things on your Sabbath day. As I said, it might take you some time to figure that out. It might take lots of practice. You might have to try different things over the course of weeks and months to figure out what it is that actually brings you rest. Now, let me answer a few questions and then I'll Wrap up this part um, by giving you two really important words. So, first question: Does Sabbath have to be a Sunday? Uh, no, it doesn't. There's there's no rules about when it has to be. In the ancient Jewish culture, it was actually sundown uh, Friday night to sundown Saturday night. Um, for most Christians, it's Sunday because. Uh, followers of Jesus now gather in churches and that goes all the way back to Jesus rising from the dead on Sunday morning. And so we've always gathered in church on Sundays. And so Sundays is the most common time to do Sabbath in our culture. Um, it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's Certainly there are people who have jobs and professions where they just have to work on Sunday and that's understandable. And so if you're one of those people um, it's still important, I think, for you to figure out how to find a way to gather with other Christians regularly, and that's usually going to be on Sunday, so you have to figure that out. That's when most church services are. But maybe for you, your most common Sabbath day is going to be Monday, or maybe it's Saturday or Friday, or it's a different day of the week that, that, that where you're not working your job. You'll just have to take all the stuff we've been talking about and apply those ideas to the day that's your Sabbath day where you don't do any work. You don't do any chores. You find things that are restful for you. But but probably for 90, 95% of us, Sunday is going to be the best day to practice Sabbath. Here's another question. <laughs> what if I have kids? Right? I know some of you have been asking this for the last 26 minutes of this podcast. What if you have kids? And what if raising your kids is significant work which it is for everyone. And this is a huge challenge. And I totally understand this challenge. I have 3 kids and they're all about the same age and when they were small my wife and I had a really difficult time figuring out how do we do Sabbath? When we we had I mean there were there was a season where we had a 1, 2 and 3 year old, right? And so if this is your situation, then uh, I think you have to figure out, how do I hold on to the ideal of what Sabbath should be? And how do I keep pursuing that ideal? How do I not let go of that ideal? And so here's a few ideas. Um, Maybe you switch off as parents. So maybe there's a day where dad takes care of the kids, and today is mom's Sabbath day. And the next day, mom takes care of the kids, and today is dad's Sabbath day. Like maybe you have to do that during some seasons. Um, another idea is you get child care for some part of or most of your Sabbath day so that you can have true rest. And part of the reason we don't even think about that or do that is because for the most part, For a lot of us who are parents, we get child care or babysitters for the other parts of the week. There's so many other things we do during the week where we're getting child care or babysitters. But just like we discussed in the last message, think about that. We have prioritized ordinary time when we do that over sacred time. Right? We've said that our work is so important and this thing is so important and this thing is so important. We're going to get babysitters for that, but our Sabbath day is not that important. We're not going to get child care or babysitters for that. M- maybe we need to think creatively or imaginatively about how we can flip those priorities and say sacred time is just as important and I need to prioritize that. If you have to take kids care of your kids on your Sabbath day, Um, You can still say no to other things in your life, right? You can say no to house tours. Try to carve out a day where you don't have house tours to do. You can say no to email. You can say no to job-related stuff. You can try to find things to do with your kids uh, that are restful. That can be really hard. You can try to find things to do for yourself while your kids are playing when they get a little older or while your kids are sleeping or napping. What can I do during this next hour or two that's restful for me? And uh, and here, here's another important thing. You can, as your kids get older, you can teach your kids about Sabbath. Don't wait until they're 12 or 14 or 16 years old to say, hey, by the way, here's this idea called Sabbath. We couldn't really do it when you were kids, but now I think it's important and you should do it. They need to grow up seeing that mom and dad are different on this day, that mom and dad act differently and do different things on this day. They treat this. They need to see that from the youngest age. Now, Again, if you have kids, uh, this is going to be hard. I'm just going to be honest with you. Keeping Sabbath is going to be hard. But, I mean, here's the reality. The whole life of raising kids is hard, right? And I think it would be a mistake to say, well, I have kids, so I just can't really have Sabbath day for the next 10 years, right? This, This whole... This whole discussion about Sabbath, it doesn't apply to me because I have kids and that's too hard and I can't ever rest, or you know, no no. It 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 probably applies to you more than anyone else. You need rest as much as, if not more, than anyone else. And so, like everything else in parenting, you're gonna have to figure out how to be creative, how to try different things, and how to hold on to this ideal. While you also give yourself a whole lot of grace <laughs> when you can't live it out or when it doesn't work or when you fail miserably right but I don't think you let go of either I don't think you let go of the ideal or grace you just have to keep holding on to both now one more question uh, can you do Sabbath for just four hours right or eight hours or or what if you only have a half a day of rest is that okay and um my answer is going to be not really. <laughs> I don't think that works. I think you need a whole day. I, I mean, there's, no, there's nothing in the Old Testament that ever says, well, hey, by the way, if you're really busy, four hours is... It? No, no, no. You need an entire day to reset, to recalibrate, to actually disconnect from work and to make space to truly rest. And I've heard this a lot. Well, I'm in my busy season. And so I, I just can't help it. It's just the way it is. I, I'm in my busy season, you know, whatever that is in your career or your life or whatever you're going through. I'm in my busy season. And so I just can't do Sabbath right now. It's a great idea. And when things slow down, I'll pursue it. And and here's the truth. If you have a busy season, just like parenting, you need Sabbath more than anyone else you need sabbath during your busy season more than your non-busy season listen to exodus 34 21 it says even this is god speaking to the israelites even during your plowing and harvest seasons you need to take a sabbath day god is saying look i know that when you're plowing your fields You only have limited time and you have so much to do. I know that when you're harvesting your crops, you only have limited time and it feels like you need to spend every single minute plowing and harvesting. I know you don't think you have enough time to get it all done. And so you're going to be tempted not to take a Sabbath day. But even during these crucial and busy seasons, I'm just telling you, you got to stop one day a week and rest from your work. So let me give you two key words for how to do this. Because again, some of you are still thinking just like I've thought so many times in my life, I just don't know how to do this, right? But you can if you do two things. Number one, prioritize. It just has to start with deciding you're going to practice Sabbath and you'll prioritize it. So, You go to your calendar if you have one, and you literally block out the Sabbath days. You just put it on the calendar, and you circle those days, and you block them out, and you say, I'm not going to schedule anything else on these days that will take away from my practice of Sabbath. That's how you make it a priority. And if you don't prioritize this, if you don't start with that priority mentality, it's not going to happen. Sabbath will always get your leftovers, which means it's not really that important, right? I mean, it's like saying, you know, saving money is really important to me. And so here's how I'm going to save money. I'm going to spend the money I make on all the things that I want. And then if I have anything left over, I'll save it, (laughs) which we all know is effectively saying I'm not going to save any money, right? Because you're not going to have anything left over. If you spend your money on all the things you want first, you're not going to have anything left over, which means you didn't really think saving money was important to begin with. If saving money was important to begin with, you would start by saving. Before you spent anything else, you would save and then spend. It's the same with Sabbath. If Sabbath is important, if finding this this work rest balance in your life is important if really confronting the issue of busyness is important i can't tell you how many people i meet that say i'm busy but then they don't do anything about it if dealing with that busyness is important if not getting burned out is important if not getting to the end of the month or the end of a year or the end of a decade and regretting the way that you spent your time if that's important then you'll start by prioritizing the Sabbath. And then you'll figure out how to make it work along the way. But you'll just say, I'm going to start blocking out these days and resolving to practice Sabbath, and and I'll stumble forward and figure it out as I go. So the first word is prioritize. The second word is prepare. (laughs) Made it easy for you. Prioritize, prepare. Prepare. Uh, The Jewish theologian Abraham Joshua Heschel gives this amazing book, uh, amazing um, image or metaphor in his book on the Sabbath. He says that the Sabbath is like a royal queen who has announced that she is going to visit your house this weekend. And if you hear that news, of course, you would be overwhelmed with honor. Enjoy that this, this royal queen, this dignitary, is coming to visit me in my house. But what else would you do? You're going to immediately prepare. You would clean the house, you would prepare the food. You would be, quote, he says, quote, zealous and diligent about preparing for her arrival so that when she comes, you can give her your full attention and enjoy her presence. What a great image. And what if we pictured Sabbath this way? I'm going to do all my laundry before Sunday. You know, let's assume Sabbath, Sunday is your Sabbath. I'm going to do all my laundry before Sunday. I'm going to get all my house chores done. So I'm not tempted to do them on my Sabbath day. I'm going to finish all my work for the week. I'm going to think ahead and make sure if I do have a meeting first thing Monday morning, I'm going to prepare for it before. Sunday. So I don't have to work on that day. I'm going to prepare so I can truly rest on my Sabbath day. And maybe you even cook meals the day beforehand. So you're not cooking on that day. You plan to go to church. You carve out that time. You plan to spend time with friends, right? You, you plan a hike. Maybe you plan things that are restful, but by preparing ahead of time, what you're saying is that this is important. Sacred time is important. And so I'm going to prepare for this day the way I would prepare if somebody really important were coming to visit my house. I mean, fill in the blank there. Who's the royal queen for you? Like, who is someone who you have the most, utmost respect for? Think of your favorite athlete. Think of your favorite entertainer, your favorite actor, your favorite artist, your favorite writer. Someone. Who is a giant in your profession? What if they were coming into town and they were going to come visit you at your house or your apartment this weekend? Wouldn't you look forward to that all week long? Wouldn't you be excited about that? And wouldn't you also block that time off and protect it vigilantly? And wouldn't you prepare? And isn't that, in a sense, what's happening? a sabbath i mean this is time you're giving to god to his presence in your life to what he wants to give to you to what he maybe wants to say to you to the rest he wants to give to your soul and to your body to your life and so you don't have to spend hours doing this just take 10 minutes on wednesday night to say am i prepared for my sabbath day this weekend Like if I carve the time out well, is there anything I need to do ahead of time to make sure that I can observe and practice this day, that I can rest well on this day so that I can experience what Sabbath was meant to be? All right, let's shift gears because what Sabbath is for the week, seasonal feasts or sacred days are for the entire year. That there are sacred days that that are sometimes they're one day, sometimes they're a season of days that give you a season in the year to intentionally pause and reflect and engage things that we don't often do in the busyness of all the other ordinary days. And so in the last message... I introduced you to this idea of the Christian calendar that is similar to the Jewish calendar. There were all these feasts and festivals that that Jews and and the ancient Israelites celebrated in the the Hebrew calendar. And so the Christian calendar also has these feasts and festivals, these sacred days throughout the year where we can pause and engage them. So I want to talk a little bit more about that today. And first, let me do the same thing again. Let me introduce uh, or, or recommend two resources. You don't have to buy both of them. Maybe just buy one of them. Here's the first. Uh, There's a book called Living the Christian Year by Bobby Gross. Living the Christian Year by Bobby Gross. And it is the best book, hands down, for beginners when it comes to understanding these seasons in the Christian calendar. So if you did not grow up going to church, or you did not grow up in a religious tradition that celebrated these seasons, or if you know nothing about them whatsoever, or you maybe just know a little bit about them, you need to get this book. Because it includes history, it includes ideas, it includes even some devotionals to read throughout the year, especially if it's your first time trying to engage these Seasons. So that's Living the Christian Year by Bobby Gross. It's kind of like uh, the Christian calendar for dummies, but it's not dumbed down. It's a really, I mean, I still use this book. It's a really rich book. Uh, Here's the second book. If you want to go a little deeper, it's called The Liturgical Year by Joan Chittister. Uh, Joan Chittister is a Benedictine nun and she is a deep thinker, and she's a really good writer, and she has the wisdom of years and years and years of following Jesus. She is both a contemplative and a social activist. She has written so many good books, and you might fall in love with her if you read any of her books. And so you can check out her book. It takes things a little deeper. Um, Again, she's a Benedictine nun, so she comes from a Roman Catholic perspective, and it's called The Liturgical Year by Joan uh, Chittister. Now, get one of those books, um, and let me briefly walk you through these seasons in the calendar. I'm not going to go through them in detail because that's what these books are great for. So I'm just going to walk through them real quickly to orient us, and then I'll give you a few suggestions about how to engage them. Um, So the year starts with three seasons that are sometimes called the cycle, together, these three seasons, it's sometimes called the cycle of light. Uh, The first season is Advent. It begins in late November and it goes till Christmas Eve. Um, And it's really about acknowledging the darkness in our lives and in our world. We can definitely acknowledge that this year, right? And this longing for God to intervene into the darkness, waiting for him, watching for him, and putting our hope in him. And so the Advent season lasts for about four weeks. And then there's the season of Christmas, which is not just one day. We think of Christmas as just Christmas Day, but historically, Christmas is 12 days. In fact, that's actually where the song comes from, the 12 days of Christmas. And so it starts on Christmas Day, and for 12 days, Christmas is celebrated as God's light coming into this dark world. The birth of Jesus, our Savior, and all the wonder and all the joy that goes with that. And then the third feast uh, in this cycle of light is called Epiphany. And it's typically just one day. Um, Sometimes people describe the weeks that follow this one day as a season, but it's called Epiphany, and uh, on Epiphany, um, you really uh, remember and celebrate um, this light that has come into the world and the sense that we are manifesting this light into the world epiphany is god's demonstrating of his light in the world it's not just that god's light has come it's that we can be bearers now of this light in the world it's the old you know song some of us sang: this little light of mine i'm going to let it shine and now you can see why this this season this trio of 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 days of um, Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany are called the cycle of light, right? Advent is waiting in the darkness. Christmas is that the light has come, and Epiphany is our revealing that light in our world. Now, uh, one quick riff here about the cycle of light. Our culture um, doesn't really do Epiphany Uh, And I personally haven't engaged Epiphany much in my life, so I'm going to be more intentional about that this year, um, and you might choose to do that as well. Um, And then, for the most part, our culture does not engage Advent. We pretty much only do Christmas out of these three. Um, We skip straight to Christmas, uh, and in fact, we skip straight to Christmas in November. I mean, that's when we start talking about it. That's when we start buying gifts. That's when we start singing Christmas carols. That's when we put up lights. We're talking about joy, And all of those things are awesome, right? Joy and lights and celebration and gifts, all of that stuff is great. But the church has historically reserved those themes and those ideas for the 12 days of Christmas. And you don't get to the 12 days of Christmas until you've experienced the darkness and the longing and the waiting of Advent. So this year... One challenge might be, how do I not too quickly go to Christmas? (laughs) How do I first embrace the richness of the Advent season? So uh, those first three celebrations are called the cycle of light. The second cycle in the Christian calendar is sometimes called the cycle of life. The cycle of life. And it starts With the long 40 day season of Lent, which begins on Ash Wednesday, which is usually in February. Every now and then it's early March. And Lent is 40 days of fasting, reflection, repentance, and journeying with Jesus to the cross. Uh, The end of Lent is called Holy Week. And uh, in some traditions, there's a term used for the final three days of Holy Week. And it's almost like a separate season, even though it's at the end of Lent. Um, And the final three days are often called the Paschal Triduum, or maybe the sacred Triduum. Uh, Triduum in Latin means three, tri, duum is days. So uh, three days. And it refers to the final three days in Lent. Monday, Thursday, which is the night that the Last Supper took place. Good Friday, when Jesus was crucified. And Holy Saturday, when all was quiet. A day of sorrow and grief. And in many traditions, these three days are the holiest days of the year. They're days for deep reflection on Christ's sacrifice. And then, of course, they're immediately followed by Easter, which starts on Easter Sunday, Easter morning, right? The greatest celebration of the year when we remember that Jesus rose from the grave. And we haven't gotten there that quickly, right? It's been 40 days of journeying through repentance and reflection and sacrifice and, and, and really death, right? Dying to ourselves and, and the journey of death with Christ. But in the Easter season, we remember life. And Easter is not just one day. In our culture, it's typically just one day. But in the church calendar, the season of Easter is actually seven weeks long. It kicks off with Easter day. But for the next seven weeks, you celebrate the re- resurrection life that is given to us. And in fact, it culminates in the day of Pentecost, the Sunday when the Holy Spirit, we remember, came and lives out Christ's life and births new life in the church. So now you can see how this is a cycle of life, right? And it and. for for those of us who love the imagery, it's not just a cycle of life because it happens in the spring. And by the end of the cycle, life is blooming everywhere. I mean, that's a beautiful metaphor for what's happening. But it's the cycle of life because it reveals this mystery of Christ's life given for us and his resurrection life working in us. And then after the season of Easter, our 25 To 29 weeks, it varies from year to year, from about June to November. And then in November, Advent, and the entire cycle starts again. And so this this third part of the year, if there's the cycle of life, uh, light, and then the cycle of life, this third part of the year is sometimes referred to as the cycle of love. That we take the light and the life that God has given us, and we live that out in love for others. Love for our neighbor. Love for for the world. Uh, sometimes this season of several months, from the summer and the fall, is simply called ordinary time. If the two other times are sacred times, this is ordinary time. Now, there are some slight differences uh, between the ways that Roman Catholics mark these days and the Eastern Orthodox Church marks these days, or Protestant Christians engage these days, and you might even see some different terminology or slightly different ways of describing them, but the general order and the general themes are the same. And it's worth noting that if you grew up in an evangelical church or maybe a Pentecostal church, this might be totally new to you because evangelicals and Pentecostals have historically been suspicious towards rituals, suspicious towards Structure or suspicious towards anything that the Catholics do um, or, or really just suspicious towards anything that is not explicitly described in the Bible. Something that's based on church tradition, but it's not in the Bible, right? And I think that's a shame because there's something rich that I think we can all discover and learn and experience in these seasons. And if we have anything to learn from the book of Leviticus, it's this, marking sacred days and sacred seasons intentionally is central to the life of the community and the faith that god has for us and the christian calendar is a really good way for doing that so here's a few questions i want you to ask yourself if you've never engaged in these seasons, What's keeping you from trying? Why not have an open mind, an open heart this year? Why not go buy one of the books I mentioned? Buy this book, Living the Christian Year, and just starting to read through it and try living out one of these seasons. Or or maybe buy a book about Advent. We're about to enter Advent, and uh, there's a new book out. It's called Shadow and Light, A Journey into Advent. It's by Tish Oxenreiter. And it's a great introduction to the season of Advent. Why not go buy a book like that? Shadow and Light, A Journey into Advent. Why not buy that? It has some simple devotionals that you can do and that you can begin to engage Advent themes this year. Why not give that a try? Here's another question for you. If you're listening and you're a pastor or a church leader of some sort, Or maybe you've just been a Christian for a long time. Are you intentional in these seasons? Now the question is not, do you know these seasons? Or do you acknowledge these seasons? Or do you mark these seasons? Of course you do. If you're a pastor, you know these seasons, right? If you've been a Christian for a long time, you've heard probably most of these terms. The question is, are you intentional about these seasons? A few years ago, I realized as a pastor, um, my two busiest seasons of the year were around Christmas time and Holy Week, which, I mean, as a pastor, of course they are, right? We We do important church stuff during those seasons, but because as a pastor, I'm overseeing a lot of things that are happening during Christmas and Holy Week it can often put me at odds with the actual spirit of those seasons i mean advent is about slowing down it's not about speeding up and being more busy lent is about clearing away some of the clutter so that you can uh, and clearing away some of the noise so that you can truly look inward not not Filling up your life with activity so that you're distracted, but actually removing some of the distractions. That's what fasting is all about. Fasting from things so that you can be more purposeful. And I've had to ask as a pastor, right? Are some of the things that I do during these seasons actually working against what the season is supposed to be about? And that's not just a danger of pastors. That's a danger of anyone who's become familiar enough with these seasons and these ideas that they forget the very distinctive and, and even countercultural and revolutionary nature of something like Advent or Lent. And, and so this podcast today, is it's not just to introduce new people to the concept of Sabbath or the Christian calendar. The farther you go in your journey of faith, I think the more purposeful, the more meaningful, the more distinctive, and maybe even the more countercultural these days will become. Uh, here's another question: Parents, are you using these sacred days and seasons to teach your kids? I mean, I, I, t- I just think these seasons are one of the best ways to teach your kids about Jesus, about God, about patience about sin about repentance about joy about gratitude all of these things and think about it one of the most formative things in our lives as we grow up as kids is holidays right i mean holidays come every year holidays are usually times of celebration holidays involve family and food right and, and, and whenever you involve family and food and whenever you do something regularly every single year, right? It, be, it becomes a ritual that forms you. And so as kids, what we learn on important holidays shapes and forms us. And so there are great ways to use Advent and Lent and Easter and Christmas and, and all of these seasons. There are great ways to teach and form your kids leaning into these seasons. Ways that are maybe teaching your kids that life is less about buying stuff or consuming stuff and, and that there's more important things in life, right? And, and that actually leads to one final question I want to ask is, well, what about all the other holidays, right, on the calendar? What about Thanksgiving the 4th of July, and Memorial Day, and Labor Day, and Valentine's Day, and Halloween, right? All those other holidays in American culture that have nothing, for the most part, to do with the Christian calendar. And it's not that those holidays are bad at all, right? Many of us have long traditions around these other holidays, and that's okay. Just realize that those holidays are also forming and shaping you in ways that you may not realize. They are communicating, and what you do on those holidays is communicating what is important to you. Because that's what holidays do. They're, they're rituals, and they have all food and family, and, and they come all, they're come very formative in our lives. And so, just to do a quick comparison, we have this day on the Christian calendar, it's called Epiphany, uh, and most of us, myself included, have never really celebrated this day. And uh, if you read about it, you see it's really rich. It's about God's light shining in our world through us. It's about Jesus being the hope of our world. It's the epiphany that we're all longing to be rescued and that Jesus is the one that God sent to rescue us. He is our hope and he is our light, right? Right? So so take this idea that he is our hope and our light and live it out on this day and in this season. Now set that alongside July 4th. Which is a day that almost all of us celebrate. It's a day that we take off from work. It's a day that we often go to a big party or we have a big party. We fire up the grill. We put on different clothes on this day, right? We bust out the red, white, and blue. A lot of us have like flag t-shirts or red, white, and blue outfits that we wear on this day. We put flags on our porches on this day. We end the day by doing what? By watching fireworks. Massive lights of celebration in the sky, And all of that, everything we do on this day, whether we realize it or not, is communicating something. You know what it's communicating? That our nation is the hope of the world. (laughs) Do you see how holidays form us? And do you see how they can actually form us in a very different direction than we even realize Now, I'm not saying you have to cancel July the 4th, right? Keep observing July the 4th by all means. But maybe just ask yourself, what am I celebrating? What am I communicating? Because rituals are always invested with meaning. And so how can we put these cultural holidays that we might still do things on that could be fun, right? But how can we put those in perspective? It's not that they're bad and it's not that we shouldn't celebrate them. It's just how can we be aware of how we're marking time throughout the year and how our calendars and our holidays and our celebrations are communicating what's important. Because we form traditions and rituals and holidays or holy days, and then those traditional traditions and rituals and holidays and holy days form us. So hopefully I've given you a lot to think about. Let's wrap up there. Thank you for listening today. The next two chapters in Leviticus are about olive oil and bread and grapes and debt and slavery and blasphemy and stoning and and the environment. <laughs> so I hope you'll join us for that. Until then, may you this week begin to see time differently. May you lean into the power of sacred time and of sacred days, and may you begin to experience God's rest and God's presence in all the sacred and ordinary days to come.